Birthday, dear Kurt. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Kurt. Thanks. How old are you now? 40, 41? 51. 51. Oh. So I'm going to count backwards. I'm 49 now. Wait a minute. So other than, uh, other than Pastor Andrew and Pastor Nate, I'm the only pastor here not older than 50? Yeah. So the half of them. <laughs> so half of them. Yeah, right. I'm the leader of half of us in being young. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, good morning to you, one and all. Welcome uh, to worship. It is good to be here together, and uh, we're going to be digging into something new today. Now, uh, as we get ready to get started, I wanted to make sure, uh, FYI, uh, you need to know this. I needed to know this. It was a great encouragement to me, uh, but this passage was chosen before before COVID, before lockdowns, before. Um, we were gonna be in James together, um, regardless. And that, for me, was a great encouragement because it was a great reminder to me that uh, the Holy Spirit is busy planning things and knows what's coming. You're gonna hear the things that, are gonna, that we're gonna be talking about. What I'm gonna be saying, you're gonna be like, oh, they just planned that for today. No, no. God knows what he's doing, and he put us right into this. He is paying attention. That was the great encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you as we dig in together. We, uh, over the uh, So since the beginning of the year, uh, we've been marching through, walking through, learning about Jesus' life through the Gospel of John. We wrapped that up last week for Easter, and today we start something new. Today we begin a study of the book of James. This should take us all the way through the end of May. Um, as we get started, as I'm going to unpack things for us today, I'm going to do things a little different than I normally do. Usually as a preacher, I like to like take God's word. We lay out all the scripture, kind of put it out there and then we unpack it. And, and, and usually I like to tell some stories. Uh, I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to try something different, something I don't normally do. So bear with me. I hope it works. <laughs> Uh, we're going to start in James chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, this is in the back of your Bible, kind of way near the end, the latter portion of the New Testament. You're going to find the book of James, and uh, let's dig in. We'll start at verse 1 and hear God's word for us. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Uh, now we're going to pause. Let me unpack this a little bit. Um, and you might wonder, how, how, what is there to unpack? That's just one verse. Well, there's a lot going on here. Uh, James, the book, um, was written really early on of the letters in the New Testament. Depending on how it's dated, it could either be the earliest or it's definitely one of the earliest. Uh, we know this partly because of who James is writing to. He's writing to Jewish Christians. These are the folks that he was ministering to in Jerusalem, and now they have been scattered. You want to know how this is pertinent to our time? Get this. He is writing to his people, the people of God, who have been dispersed around the known world, required to be separate from each other, no longer permitted to share life the way they had, to live in community and communion with one another, not allowed they were on lockdown. 
and he's reaching out to them and he wants them to know that he's thinking of them and that God is thinking of them and that, that as much as they might feel like they're fragmented and apart and powerless and, and what can they do, that they are still God's people. And albeit scattered, they're scattered out into the world, which means that they can be salt and light. They can be the seasoning of the gospel in the very places where they're trying to live their lives. It's this wonderful encouragement, and he begins this way to let them know that they still have a role. They still have a part, even if their world feels fragmented. And he continues. Just so you know, he's going to just jump right in. James doesn't pull any punches. He's a, he's a blunt guy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed about by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. All right, let's, let's talk about those, those, those verses here a little bit. Um, like I said, James just dives right in. He, he knows his people. He knows what they need to hear. He knows how they're feeling. And so he's just going to get right to the point. Folks, life is complicated. It's going to feel complicated. You're going to feel like you're on unsteady ground. I know this. He said, I know this. I know what you're going through. And, and, and it's not abnormal. You, you need to realize that, that, that in many different ways, to many different degrees, deep pain, weird inconveniences, uh, loss and grief. He calls them uh, trials of many kinds. This is what it means to be alive. This is what it means to be in this world, this broken place. This is part and parcel with being God's people alive in this, in this world. It should not come as a shock. Uh, you should not think it abnormal. This is the way um, this is the way of the world, and you're in the middle of it. But take heart. As much as you might feel like things are unstable, as much as you might feel like uh, it's just frivolous, this chaos that's going on around you, it's not. God does not waste a thing, and this hardship will not be wasted. What comes with hardship in the economy of the Lord is blessing. And so don't be afraid to ask God. He wants to bless you. He is ready to bless you. In fact, he is uh, anticipating blessing. He wants you to be paying attention. Are you watching as these things are, are, are coming at you? Are, you? are you paying attention? Are you aware? Are you ready? Because so often the blessings that you will receive will be a direct result. They'll kind of be a, a, a holy consequence of, of the trial, of the change, of the pain that you're going through when you hang on to faith through that. And then uh, he wants to help us understand how. So he gives us a practical example. He's like, for instance, uh, perseverance, maturity. This is a beautiful side effect. This is a beautiful result, a blessing of God when you go through a hardship you have to grow up. You have to mature as a believer in Jesus Christ. You don't uh, have the luxury of seeing the world through rose-colored glasses anymore. 
And that's going to be to your benefit. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to see the world through jaded lenses either. See, through faith and humility, you can keep your eyes set on the things that do not change, on the one who does not change, the one who does not waver, our Father, who is not, like, uh, uh, is not fickle like tossing waves or billowing breezes. Um, now, <clears throat> we're ready. It's, that's kind of the end of that little passage of Scripture. But before we move on, I, I want to plant a seed. I want to uh, talk about something that, uh, that will make a lot of sense as we come to the end of this passage. Um, I want to talk about a beautiful word uh, it's one of those classic church words, one of those high theology words. It's one of those things we might ask a seminary student uh, if we were uh, examining them for ordination. Um, one of those important God words. And we don't use it very often in day-to-day language, but I would encourage you to just add this one in there. Um, you can be one of those word-of-the-day calendar kind of people and drive others nuts, but that's okay. The word I want to, to bring to light this morning is the word immutable. Um, in fact, I think they can, they can put that on the screen for you. There you go. That's what it looks like. It helps me when I learn new words to see them. Immutable. What does it mean? It means unchanging. It means unalterable. Something that is immutable cannot be changed, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you want to. It cannot be changed, which, which is terrifying if you have an immutable diaper on your little one. Um, terrifying. Uh, But immutable, immutable, an immutable pair of pants cannot be hemmed. Uh, An immutable tree will not fall over in a windstorm. And an immutable man is, well, it's just a normal guy. But either way, immutable cannot be changed. (laughs) I'm kidding, right? You know that. I'm being silly. And I'm being silly on purpose. Uh, Because, I mean, if if you live, if you breathe, if you pay attention to the world around you, One thing you're going to realize as we talk about immutability, immutable, is it just doesn't exist. We don't live in a world where there are immutable things. There are no immutable trees. Trees fall over in windstorms. And it doesn't matter how stubborn a man is. After 23 years of marriage, he will change. (laughs) Right, honey? Yeah. She's, She's nodding, smiling. She knows it's true. Now she wants me to move on. And I will listen to her because I am an obedient husband. See, I can change. Now, because it's not a part of our world, immutability is hard for us to really grasp. It's kind of this foreign concept. Um, And it's because we live in a world that's constantly changing. Um, Everything in our world is always changing. This year is a national census year. Why? Because our nation continues to change. Every 10 years, we take a census. By the way, this is the month. Right now is the time. Are you filling out your census? Hope you have. You got it in the mail. Give you a little code. Log in. Put in the code. Fill out the information. Really simple. Um, Make sure you're doing that. Because, uh, I mean, first of all, it's constitutionally mandated. Second of all, it's important. It's important with a representative form of government to keep track of how we're changing the demographics politically so that we can allocate our representatives appropriately to accurately represent the people. Um, Things change. Our nation changes. People change. We get older. We get gray hairs. We get no hairs. 
Um, we, we, we change our habits, sometimes for the good. Uh, sometimes, you know, it, it's good if, if you've joined a gym. Uh, it's not so good if you've given up that membership to eat weekly donuts, um, which I bake a lot now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'll blame COVID. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Our attitudes change. Um, my mother is a completely different woman than she was when I was growing up. Uh, when, when we were growing up as kids, my mom was strict and frugal, which she needed to be. She was a single woman uh, raising three kids all by herself. Uh, but then she had grandkids, and the, one of the first years for Christmas, our son had 25 gifts under the tree. 25. Like, you couldn't see the tree. Um, that was not the woman I grew up with. So, yep. People change. Change is inevitable. We know this. It is a part of life. Um, and it's not just circumstantial. Change comes at us in a lot of different ways. Um, we know this. In fact, one of the blessings, one of the gifts that God gives us as a good father is to encourage us to change, to challenge us to change. And as is true in normal life, it is true in the way that God grows us up, Oftentimes, that change comes through pain or struggle or trial or discomfort or resistance. Um, it's, it's part of how we grow up. James knows this. James is painting this picture for the people he's de- talking to, the people he's trying to encourage. And as he's marching them along through, through this opening part of the letter, um, well, listen to how he continues to challenge him. We're going to continue along in verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. The rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, that's just three verses, but I want to stop there because oftentimes uh, these three verses can cause a little bit of anxiety in folks. Um, it almost sounds like James is glorifying poverty and criticizing wealth, but that is not what I believe he's doing here. Um, as, I unpack, as I read along and the theme as he's unpacking it, it seems to me that what he's doing is laying it out that no one is exempt. No one is exempt from trials or from experiencing change. Whether you have plenty or whether you are in want, both are going to have change. Both are going to experience hardship in life. The thing you can't control, you can control what you have oftentimes. Sometimes you can't. But one thing that you can be in charge of, you're not supposed to rely on trying to change those things. One thing you can be in charge of is your attitude in the midst of whatever the circumstance is that you're going through. Okay? It's important for us not to get swept up in our station in life, um, that this is somehow our identity in the social or economic places where, in, in which we find ourselves. Um, I think what he's trying to get here, the core of what he's trying to get here in these three, pass, uh, these three verses, is that who we are in Christ is who we are, not what we have in this world that doesn't define us. And so we... We need to be, I think he's challenging people to spiritually embrace an attitude that stands in contrast to the experience they're having. That way, that way, that experience doesn't become the identity. If you have little, 
the trials of your life can remind you of the wealth and blessing and abundance you have in Jesus Christ. That that is not your identity, what you have or don't have. Jesus Christ is your identity and he you have all the time. On the flip side, if, if you have a lot, the, the, the fading away of that or, or other trials that you might experience are a reminder to you that, that the identity of wealthy is not your identity because those things are fleeting, they're temporary, um, they're fragile. Um, this, I, I, I believe, is James saying that... Uh, Because change is inevitable, rather than planting our feet solidly on our situation or trying to control that, we must choose to plant our feet somewhere truly solid. And then he continues on, giving us where that plant, that place to plant our feet should be. And this will be the rest of the portion of James that we're reading for today, starting verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So where can we lean? Where can we stand? If everything is changing and there's nothing solid on which to stand, there's got to be something, right? There's got to be somewhere. There's got to be someone. And this is where James is is kind of pulling it out here. Immutability is foreign in our world, but we still need to talk about it because there is one place where immutability is alive and well. There's one place in our lives where immutability is itself immutable. And it's not death. We just celebrated Easter. It's not death. And it's not taxes. This past Wednesday was tax day, except it wasn't. Right? Change. But we worship an immutable, unchanging God. And considering what's happening in our world right now, knowing that God doesn't change, knowing that he stands firm, gives us somewhere to stand as everything seems to be in flux. To have an immutable God means that we have a father whose character does not and will not change. All that God is, he has ever been. And all that he has ever been, he will ever be. Psalm 102 tells us this explicitly. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you, heavenly father, remain They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same and your years will never end. It is an amazing gift that we can use the word always to talk about the truth of our Father, of our God, always. 
God is always wise. God is always sovereign. God is always faithful. God is always just. God is always holy. God is always loving. Always, without exception, never an exception. We can say this about our God, and we need this because in the midst of the experience of uncertainty in life, the things that feel like they're, they want to toss us to and fro and, and, and drive us crazy, it can often be that in the middle of those moments, we allow what we know is true to be swayed by our circumstances, by our experiences. And it's in those moments that we start wondering, maybe, maybe God isn't quite as, as faithful and just and loving. Maybe, how can a loving God allow and you can fill in the blank, right? And we do that. We have this narrative that runs in our, in our heads. But the absolute complete truth of it is, is God is always loving. No matter the circumstances, he is always loving. That is the truth. That is the rock on which we can stand. That will never waver and it falls to us in the face of whatever circumstance is happening to look at that truth, to grab onto it and to not let go. That truth will not bend. It is us and our perspectives and, and perceptions that need to bend to that truth. Because he is and always is our immutable, unchanging God, we can depend on him to be there. He says he will be there when the storms of chaos and change are raging around us. He says it in Malachi. He says it very explicitly to us in Malachi. I, the Lord, do not change. And because of that, you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Because I don't change, you are not destroyed. Whew. All right. <clears throat> so what does that mean for us? How do we apply this? Um, there's a lot of good thoughts going on here. How do we, how do we bring it home? How do we make this uh, our own? Um, so I'm going to talk about it conceptually, and then I'm going to give you an example. You've already heard one today, and I'm going to highlight it, and I'm going to give you another one that has been personally uh, beneficial in my life. So change is inevitable. God does not change. How do we let God's immutability give us strength? Well, let me, let me share with you a beautiful word from Hebrews 6. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what is promised, that's us, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that we can take hold of the hope offered to us and be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, it enters in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. God's immutability gives us hope of strength in him during whatever change or trial we might have to endure. It's our hope in an unchanging him that serves as an anchor for our soul. He is an anchor for us. You know what an anchor is, right? It's a steadying force. It's a, uh, it prevents drifting in choppy seas. It keeps us from sliding away. It helps us to not be swept away by chaos. An anchor is like an immovable rock that we can hold on to. Um, there's this, uh, this story told of a, of a sailor who was shipwrecked in a storm 
And all he could hang on to as the waves were tossing around him was this rock. Um, and he was just waiting for the storm to pass and the tide to go out so he could get back to safety. Eventually he did. And as he's kind of recuperating, a friend of his came up and said, uh, wow, man, didn't you shake with fear as you were hanging onto that rock? And the sailor's like, yeah, but the rock didn't. Life and its uncertainties might shake us. It might feel like the chaos is gonna overwhelm us, but the God of, of, of our lives, the Father we have in heaven who is the rock of ages does not move. When we cling to him, his strength will sustain us. Now, I know saying that would create kind of this, it can, it can create kind of a temptation. God doesn't move, we hang on to him, we can be the church that doesn't move. <laughs> no. No, there's, there's kind of this dual sense of how secure and stable God is. Um, when God serves as our anchor, it's not just so we can hold firm in one place and not move. Uh, get rid of the picture of the church as like the castle keep with the moat around it and the drawbridge is up and you pour boiling water on anybody that threatens you. Uh, no. No, notice the last couple of verses of Hebrews 6 that demonstrate how an anchor moves and how it moves somewhere beautiful. Uh, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Yep, we get that, no problem. That anchor enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. The biblical image here is, is of one of moving ahead, moving toward the heavenly realms, even while we're here on earth, moving to a, an experience of life as if we are dwelling in the, the, the beauty inner sanctuary of heaven itself, because that's where Jesus is. I mean, imagine if you can, that, that our anchor is out ahead of us and we're winching our way toward him through the spirit. The spirit is this chain connecting us. There's actually a sailing technique like this. It's called kedging. You know, if a ship was in port and it's in kind of shallow water and a storm comes in, it's in danger of getting battered against the docks and, and, and other things. It could run aground. So the sailors would hop in a boat and they would take the anchor as far out as the chain would allow. They'd drop it and then they'd go back and they would pull themselves out into deeper water where they would have more safety. That's the picture being painted of Jesus here in Hebrews. And I think that's kind of what James is alluding to as well, that we have an anchor for our soul, firm and secure in the inner sanctuary, giving us access to the beauty of heaven today. That he's, he's a strong anchor in heaven as we are in our ship here on earth and we're tethered to him by the spirit, the chain that binds us. And he is giving us this like forward momentum so we can move in the storm and we can continue to be blessed and be a blessing. We are Christ's church. We're not meant to just stay, stay still and hold on. We're Christ's church and we are on the move even in the midst of the storm. Now, <clears throat> Pastor Kurt at uh, the last service shared about the rock and then he, at the time of prayer, he was telling me about the rock that, uh, that Pastor Andrew uh, handed out on Ash Wednesday. And it's this like actual reminder of, of who we are and to whom we belong. And it reminded me of something that happened, a story that I came across in college. And I wanted to share it with you because everything we've been talking about, God is an anchor and, and this is all wonderful cerebral stuff and it's truth and we need to know it. But how do we apply it? How 
can I practice experiencing God's stability and the way he pulls me toward him and reminds me that he has got this no matter what's going on? So in college, uh, I had just recently, so I spent the first three years of college at a little Christian college in Northwest Iowa, not far from home. Got to go home every week and do my laundry at home and, and mom would make me lasagna anytime I wanted. I guess she didn't wait until we had kids to change. She was really nice. Um, <laughs> and, and I did three years of college there and uh, I was getting ready to start my senior year. And my roommate, my best friend in the world, uh, he decided to get married before his senior year. And he and his wife wouldn't let me live with him. And so I'm like, I might as well go try school somewhere else. So I moved all the way to Cedar Falls, from Orange City to Cedar Falls, about 250 miles away, far away from home, never been that far away from home before. And I'm going to the University of Northern Iowa. It's brand new, I'm a little out of my element. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. I probably should be in a Bible study of some kind. So I find this Bible study. And one of, the, one of the leaders of the Bible study was talking about her experience um, being in college, feeling far from home, and just how unstable that felt. And she was feeling lost. And so the, the Spirit, just the Holy Spirit was talking to her and said, you know, you're going to do something. You're going to take something completely inane, something that has no meaning. And you're going to, this thing is going to be owned by God as a way to remind you of how much he loves you. So you're going to, every time you see a paperclip, it's going to be just a paperclip. Every time you see a paperclip, you're going to be reminded that God has you. That he's wrapped his arms around you and he's not letting you go. This paperclip right here, this one, the reason like this story came up after the rock story is it was sitting over here on the stairs, okay? Yeah, out of nowhere, paper clips. So, and she told a couple of accounts of paper clips that just showed up in her life and, and in perfect moments. And I'm like, ah, great, fun, that's wonderful. So not long after that, uh, <clears throat> I just met Laura, my wife, and we were friends. <laughs> You know, we weren't dating yet. Everybody knew we were, but we weren't dating yet. And, and we were going to go home and visit my mom for a weekend. And, um, and as I get home from work and I'm about ready to start heading for home, uh, I get this phone call. Um, Hi, is this, you know, Doug? And I'm like, yeah, uh, well, we just want you to know your mom was in this terrible car accident. I'm like, what? Yeah, um, I don't know where you are, but if you can get out here, that would be great. She's in a really bad way. Uh, there's probably going to be surgery. And you're her oldest, so you know, it'd be nice if you, were, you could be here. I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, and Laura's like, oh, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm shaken. And uh, I drive to the, to the gas station. I'm going to fill my car up with gas so we can get... Uh, moving to Northwest Iowa. And as I'm standing there filling up the car with gas, there next to the gas pump on the ground, on the cement, is this massive paperclip. I was like, okay. Okay. No problem. I picked it up. 
and I attached it to, to my coat. It stayed on my coat, right on my sleeve for years and years and years. So I still have it. It's at home. But I'm like, all right, in that moment, like, okay, God, you've got it. You've got it. Figure that out for yourself. What's, what's the way God can tell you that he's got you? It can be something silly. It, steal the paperclip thing. I stole it from that young lady. I've used it even all these years. What's a way that God tells you actively? I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm the rock that you can lean on. And yeah, there's going to be change and it's going to be hard. But you're going to grow up and you're going to be better tomorrow and today than you were yesterday. And it's going to be okay. Because what I've got planned for you is to bless you. And not only is it going to bless you, but it's going to overflow from you and it's going to bless others too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, your goodness, for speaking into our lives, sometimes in ways we never expected, but in ways that we can count on. And life can be complicated and hard and full of change and uncertainty, but it's never more than you and never more than what you can handle and never more than the stability and the peace and the love that you give. Give us reminders Tell us what they are so we can look for them. Give us reminders every day in the moments we need them of how close you are, because you are. You're so close. You have never left us, nor have you forsaken us. Thank you for being faithful. For the glory of your name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.